Well, let's continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of Scripture, and that's uh, going to be from Luke chapter 3, and we'll read together this morning verses 1 through 20. Luke 3, and we'll read all, uh, 20 verses, beginning in verse number 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iterea and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by them, by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers who asked him, are we, and we, what shall we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Let's pray together. Father, in recent days as a church family, we've talked much about the fear of the Lord. We've seen in the book of Jeremiah that one of the things you said to that generation was, the fear of me is not in you, and you've forsaken me. So I pray that we would use this testimony of Scripture to want to get a word from the Lord. It's here before us. We have a word from the Lord. Give us grace that we're attentive to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you're seated, I'll remind you that, that if you want a word from the Lord, um, it helps if you want one. Amen? And, and if we open up a Bible, we have one. Amen? We'll have to go looking. It's right here. The Bible is alive and active. So it's never a matter of if the Bible is alive and active. The question is, are we alive and active unto the, to the Scripture? And I love Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. And I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, The, the King's Road. 
you know, it, God doesn't come into your life any old way. But here's the good news. There is a way. And Luke 3, verses 1 through 20, help us understand what that way is. You know, if you were to uh, get on Sunset Avenue out here and head towards Nashville and continue on past Little Eisenberg, you'd see that there is a rather massive road construction project going on. Have you seen this? That they are building an exit ramp onto Interstate 95 right there. You'd see cranes and bulldozers and all sorts of equipment preparing the, the way. And, and I know, for me, that, that's going to be the way I'm going to jump on the interstate. You know, I-95 runs from Miami to Maine. Right now, I go to either exit 132 or I do what many of you do. You hop on 64 and then got to get on 64 to get up. But man, when that's open, that's, that's where I'm going, right? And, and John uses the imagery of, of building a road to prepare the way for Jesus, He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. One of the reasons you know you can trust John is the first thing he has to say is he quotes scripture, right? So he's, he's quoting from Isaiah, the, one of, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Then, then think of this in, in maybe engineering terms. Like if you were going to build a road, you've got to fill the valley, and then you've got to make the mountains level, the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And, in light of that, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 14. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that a great promise? Now, here's the question. And it's this question that's going to lead us through our study of these verses. How do you receive the Lord? I hear people say that often. I received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I received him into my heart. I received him into my, to my life. But what we want to know is we can use words that the Bible uses without meaning what the Bible means when those words are used. We, we're together on that, right? So, so what... How do you receive the Lord? Listen to it again. But those who did receive him, who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So what is it about Jesus that we're to believe in order to receive him? Suppose last year this time I was driving down Sunset Avenue past Little Eisenberg and decided I want to get on I-95 then and there when there was no entry ramp. I just decided to go off-road. Now, I know some of you like to go off-road, you know. I've seen your cars, and they're a mess. And What would have happened if I did that? That would not have gone well, right? I, 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 would, uh, I would have likely wrecked, done a lot of damage to my car, and probably hurt other people in the process. And you know, we live in a generation that suggests to us over and over and over again that we can make our own way. And, and John the Baptist stands as a voice crying in the wilderness saying, no, you can't. You can't make your own way. But here's the good news. There is a way. And God is not arriving to adapt to your roads, what you've mapped out. John is saying, he's come and arrived to say, here is the the way. I think it might be helpful 
for us to understand a little bit of the time and place that John is proclaiming this, this message, we can't move past without readily identifying that verse, chapter 3, begins with this list of influential and important people, right? Starts at the top. Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip. Those are the governing leaders. And, and then verse 2, the, maybe the religious leaders, Annas and Caiaphas. And here is the important point that comes in verse 2. The word of the Lord did not come through them. You see that? Now, if you lived in that time and place, most all the headlines would be about that collection of people. You see what Caesar's done now? You see what Pontius Pilate has done now? You see what Herod, okay, you've heard about Herod the Tetrarch and, and Philip and so on and so forth. That gets most of the people's attention, but the word of the Lord is coming through this outsider, this rather strange man who's not in Athens, he's not in Rome, he's not even in Jerusalem, he's out there in the wilderness. So can I give you a simple application? Friends, oftentimes, oftentimes the word of the Lord comes through through people and places that don't get a lot of attention and a lot of admiration in the world. John comes along proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in those days, y'all, roads were not common. I mean, you can go on 995 and you got smooth, well, you know what I mean when I say this, in comparison to those days, you can drive to Miami. But in those days, that wasn't the case. There weren't a lot of roads. In fact, in, those, in that time and place, uh, most of the paths that people walked were just simply that, paths. And if people over the course of time just kept walking, in the, and, and you probably got, you, you know, I, I was uh, walking the neighborhood the other day, and I saw this little dog walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and there on the, on the yard was, you could mark out the path that that dog walks, and that was kind of how it was then. The only person who made roads was the king. Why did the king make roads? For himself. And if the king was going to build a road, he'd do two things. He'd send out a herald, and he'd send out his engineers. And the herald would show up to a village and say, the king is coming. In that list of names there in verse, uh, first couple of verses, of course Caesar, but Pontius Pilate, could make use of roads, and, and the governing authorities could make use of roads. And, and, and the point was, when, when they showed up, the herald would say, the king, Caesar, or to a lesser degree, the governor is, is coming. And the implication was, what? You better get ready. And that is what John is saying. The king is coming. And I'm preparing as his herald to let you know he is coming. And then we can go through these verses and realize, here's how it's, I don't want to misuse this word, here's how it's engineered. Not in the sense that we manipulate it unto happening, but this is the way the king travels. So if you want to receive him, to believe in his name, it begins with understanding that you are receiving a king, not a teammate, not a co-pilot, not an advisor, not someone who's going to mildly adjust the life you were going to live anyway, not a good teacher, not the big guy upstairs. The king is coming. Have you received Jesus that way. And I'm going to use four phrases as we go through Luke chapter 3 together to, 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 to describe the way the king is to be received. 
So if you've got an outline, you want to follow along, we'll begin with this first phrase. As you receive him, the king, with repentant reliance. Repentant reliance. Let's read together again. It's so important to carefully study God's word so we can see what it says and what it doesn't say. So, so verse 7, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. It's not a very warm welcome, is it? Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? We'll get back to what he's saying there. In verse, verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There's our word. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Now, I did this. I'm teaching the kids with VBS. So I'm going to pull it out here. I'm going to say a word. I want you to repeat it. All right. Root. Fruit. Root. <laughs> Fruit. You, you, they did it better than y'all. I'm just going to be honest. So. But you see those two words are just calling your attention. There's a fruit, then there's a root. What's about to happen to the root? Got an axe. We, we tracking together? He's not cutting the fruit off. He's cutting the root out. We see that. The king is not cutting the fruit off. He's here for the root. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the crowds asked him, what shall we do? They're listening. He answered them this series of things. If you've got two tunics, you don't need two tunics. You don't need to hoard things up. You don't need to be so selfish. You can be generous. And if you've got a lot of food, you don't have to keep it all to yourself. Tax collectors, they come. What should we do? Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, what shall we do? Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. So, you ready for a really important question? Giving you a moment to brace yourself. Is changing your behavior... Repentance. They asked him, what should we do? And, and then he gives them a series of things to do, right? Got two tunics? You don't need them both. Give one to someone who doesn't have one. This is so important for us to ask, is changing my behavior repentance? This is important because it's right here, right here, y'all. People get diverted onto the wrong path. So, ask it one more time. Is, is repentance a change of behavior? The answer is no. It's the fruit of repentance. Changing my behavior, being a generous person, not a selfish person, telling the truth, just going by what John says here, not lying, leveraging your life not to take from other people, but to bless other people. Changing my actions, changing my behavior is not repentance it's the fruit of repentance so can we ask the next question then what is repentance this is important because a lot of people think what following Jesus and receiving him as king means is that I change my behavior no the behavior gets changed in light of him changing your heart and I know probably in a group like this we've all heard that 
But I want you to know that this is really important. Because at the fall in Genesis 3, the first thing Adam and Eve do when they realize what they've done is they try to make it better. And cover myself up. And get my fig leaves out. And when God showed up, it was revealed how far short that fell. And one of the most common things we try to hide in are our own works of righteousness. But look what John says. He says, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. When I was um, growing up, we had a game in the arcade. Remember when you went to go to the arcade called Whack-A-Mole? Anybody remember Whack-A-Mole? Put your little quarter in, your little token in, you're at Chuck E. Cheese. Or when I grew up, Fayetteville, North Carolina, showbiz pizza, you know, you, you, you played whack-a-mole. And the game is, a little mole would pop up and you had to whack it. And then you kept going and the faster you did it. That's what a lot of people think Christianity is. You see something bad in your life, whack it. No, no, Christianity is not whacking the moles. Christianity is unplugging that device from the wall and saying it doesn't have power anymore. That's, that's the change not of behavior, a change of heart, that yes, whole counsel of God prayerfully, leads to a change of behavior. But if you, if you look to change the behavior first, and your heart stays the same, what actually happens is a hardening of your heart, and an increasing of pride and, and, and arrogance, and well, that's what you see Jesus confront. So, what is the root? I'd love how helpful Scripture is when we humbly approach it. He said to the crowd, verse 7, let's get to the root, right? He said to the crowd that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, that's not the first time he used the word repentance. Go back up to verse 3. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So let's try to put these things to, to, together. Why does John call him a brood of vipers? He's not just grabbing an insult out of the air, right? What's a viper? Well, let me ask it this way. Have you ever heard of a snake, a serpent in the Bible? We've already alluded to John 3. He's there, isn't he? What does that serpent do? What does that snake do? He lies, Right? That old viper back in the garden, what did he say? Well, he had essentially said, God's not to be trusted. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. If you eat the fruit of the tree, remember what he said, first of all, if you eat it, you will not surely die. Remember that? First outright lie. He subtle it first, and then he comes around and lies. You will not die, for God knows that if you eat it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when he says you're a brood of vipers, what is he saying? He's saying that old liar, that serpent, is who you're following. And, and then, let's, let's keep tracking with what he's saying. You're a brood of vipers. You, you need to be cautious that you're just not, not out here to look for more fig leaves. Do you know what I'm saying? No, the king is coming. It's a different different thing altogether, right? And then he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? And let's, let's understand what he asked there in light of what he says next. Don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So let's think through, through this. 
Jesus says of Satan, he's a liar and he's lied from the beginning. But I think it might be helpful for us to know that though he's lied from the beginning, all of his lies don't sound the same, right? Who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? The original lie was there is no wrath, right? There is no wrath. Well, after the fall, Adam and Eve realized this didn't go the way we thought, right? So he lied to them on the front end. Maybe think of it this way. Do you think he lies to you on the back end? He doesn't stop lying. He just adjusts his lies. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life. So after he's lied and says you can't trust God, and then Adam and Eve believe him, and the fall happens, he begins to lie then about how to make it better. So we're blind, and then, friends, we're blind to the fact that we're blind. You know what I mean? We're blind to our own blindness. So then when he comes and says, don't you say to me we have Abraham as our father, what's the implication? It would go like this. He lied. We know he lied. There's a wrath that's to come. And we can be protected from that wrath because we are descendants of Abraham. And Jesus will say, Abraham didn't even believe that. But now they do. So there are people who will agree, man, the world is a mess. The world has fallen. The world is broken. But where you and I need to be cautious is, I think Satan will seed that ground because it's so obvious. But then the next lie comes in and, on the terms of, well, how does it get better? And in our generation, it's the same as theirs. You know, we tend to think we're so much smarter than they used to be. No, we're not. What is he saying? Just get your identity in the wrong place. In their, in their situation, we're descendants of Abraham. So therefore, there's no wrath coming for me. And in your generation, you're told all the time, find your identity in this, find your identity in that, find your identity. No, uh, your identity, friends, is who you are before God. Period. So if you're a follower of Jesus, an encouragement to you, you don't have to answer to any name God doesn't call you. Isn't that good news? I heard Priscilla... Priscilla my own daughter's name, and I have a hard time saying that name. Priscilla Shire say that one time. You don't have to answer to a name that God doesn't call you by. So, so John's saying, who warned you? So, so Satan will cede to you a little ground to trap you in an actually a darker lie. And the lie for them went like this. Flee the wrath by trusting in Abraham. And focus, by the way, as descendants of Abraham, on those nasty, wicked Gentiles over there. They're the ones who really need to be worried about the wrath that's to come. Because the blind assumption for them, and you hear echoes of this when we study the book of Jeremiah. Isn't it great how all the word of God fits together? Is that they had arrogance and pride, believing that when the king showed up, the king would tell everybody else, y'all should have been listening to this group all along. And that's not what the king does. In fact, that's one of the reasons they turn on him so strongly. So their lie said, flee the wrath by trusting in Abraham. It's not enough to know you need to flee the wrath You need to know how to flee the wrath. And that's where the phrase repentant reliance comes on. Friends, there's no safe place from the the king's wrath except through the death of the king on your behalf on the cross. Can I get an amen? There is no safe place from the king's wrath except the death of the king on your behalf at the cross. See, our, our problem is not first behavior. It's not what we do. It's why we do what we do. 
And here is why. Here's the root. We've all believed the lie of the serpent that, that, that is we should serve and love something as God that's not God. That's the root. That's the root. We all look to something other than God to give and do for us what only God can give and do. We look for satisfaction, approval, achievement, reputation, life and joy and peace in a thousand things. We're all participants in the fall, believing that I can be a God unto myself. So that makes us usurpers. And that's important if you're a usurper when the real king has shown up. Can we appreciate that? When the real king shows up, if he finds you sitting in his chair, that's significant. So the first phrase is uh, repentant reliance. My second phrase is willing obedience. John begins his quote, uh, his message rather, with a quotation from, from Isaiah. By the time of Isaiah, if you know your Old Testament history, 700s B.C., Israel has, has been through it, Right? I mean, over and over, cycles of needing to be delivered, God delivering them, and then a little bit of time goes on and they fall right back into trouble. And so God delivers them again. That's kind of, the, the, whether it's Joseph in Genesis or Moses in Exodus or Joshua, the judges, there's Deborah, there's Samson, there's Gideon. Then come the kings. And then Isaiah, Isaiah is proclaiming a message that the one who's been sending all these deliverers is going to come himself. Isn't that amazing? Instead of sending somebody else, he's going to, he's going to come. And, and John quotes him. Why? Because it's happening. Isaiah, 700 years previously, said, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John's standing there as their forerunner to Jesus saying, no, Moses isn't coming. Joshua isn't coming. David's not coming. God is coming. Can you imagine if, um, if I went up to the ramp project tomorrow morning, you know, when they're building at I-95, and I just pulled over to the side of the road, and, and I got somebody's attention, and I said, can I talk to whoever's in charge here? And they keep pointing me, and finally I get to, and just theoretically, I get to the person who's in charge, and I, and I say to, to him, what I'd like for y'all to do is build a lane from this ramp to my house. So, th so that I can get an unobstructed entry to the interstate. Just, just pull it right from where you are and just keep paving. you got the machines out here. Uh, and, and, and I just want to, I don't want any stoplights, stop signs. I want to be able to leave my driveway, hop on the road. And they say, we could never do that. that we'd, have to, we'd have to knock over somebody's house. I said, that's fine with me. It's fine for me if you do that. And, and by the way, do you mind if when you do have that road paved, I'll just set the speed limit? Can you imagine the look on the person's face? What would they say? You're insane. That's so, such audacity. Who do you think you are when they say that? Well, friends, that's nothing compared to the audacity of us saying to God, hey, I'm really glad you want to be a part of my life. So here are the terms. I'd like for you to give me all the blessings of heaven while letting me keep my pet sins. Smooth out life for me. No suffering, no hardship. And then I'll let you be a part of my life. Wouldn't you say, that's crazy, but that's what we've done. It's who we are. We want to revise him. 
Today, I'll tell you what, man, we, we read some verses that probably if you didn't do it outside of your body, you did it inside. When you read things about fire, winnowing forks, clearing the threshing floor, unquenchable fire, the generation we live in has no room for a God of justice. No, no, we want, we want to give God the roadmap and give it to him and say, you follow our directions, thank you very much. It's not willing obedience. That's not obedience at all. If you say, I'll obey if. No, I received the king with repentant reliance and, and willing obedience. And the next, we, we received the king with humble rest. Y'all good? We got to still do some thinking on this. John, John's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of, of sin. So in John's day, uh, a Gentile who wanted to become a Jew was baptized. So you've heard of, uh, uh, of this God that we love and we serve. And uh, though, though you're not a descendant of Abraham, you want to become part of our uh, community. So a Gentile who wanted to become a Jew was baptized, washed. It's a little bit like getting cleaned up. You, you, you'd be uh, baptized that way. And the baptism was self-administered. You, you kind of baptized your, yourself. Now, now, John is the first prophet in 400 years when he's preaching. And everyone, look what it says, the crowds came to be baptized by him. And John turns everything on its head. First of all, he's saying everyone needs to be baptized. Everybody needs to be cleansed. Not just them, all of us. And second, you can't have another person, you can't do it yourself. Another person has to do it. Can't be self-administered. And then third, the baptism doesn't really save you anyway, right? That's what it says. I'm preparing a way, but one's coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You've got to prepare yourself for his uh, uh, arrival. Religion, y'all, religion can't save you. Religion is, is cleaning the outer rim of the glass while the inside is still dirty. That's what Jesus will say. That's what religion is. We need to be transformed on the, on the inside. And look, John's a great example of this. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, they're saying, John is awesome. Maybe he's, maybe he's the one. Well, friends, if everybody wanted to come and make you king, how would you respond? Would you say, that's a good idea. I should be the king around here. And nobody would say that, but do you live like it? Do you act like it? In your home, do you say, man, it would be better off if everybody did listen to me, right? So, so look at John's response. When they, they're saying, I wonder if, I, if he's the Christ, John answered saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is mightier than I is coming. That'd be a great way maybe for you to start beginning your day. First thoughts you've got in the morning, you wake up there as one mightier than I. You waste your life trying to build your brand. 